Test, test, one, two, test, test. So this music was having physical, was starting to have physical effects on me, on other people. And so it, it got fraught there for a while. And, you know, again, being a researcher, you know, I talked to somebody I know who's an audiologist and explained that, hey, I woke up one morning and this thing was really slowed down and, and here are the instruments that are on it. And, you know, I played it for so-and-so and she threw up. And, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, the kind of apocryphal brown note. And, and things like that, which if your listeners don't know, there's supposedly a resonating frequency out there that if played at, the, at, at a suitable volume will cause you to lose control of your bowels. And it's called the, uh, the brown note because people are really creative at naming things. And so maybe there's a green note, you know, maybe there's, a, this is going to turn your guts, you know, going back to, right. um, you know, going back to, to experimental composers like, uh, like uh, Coyle, like John Balance and Peter Christofferson, they originally did a soundtrack in the 80s to the first Hellraiser film. Right. That was rejected, flatly rejected by the record company, the film production company, and by, remind me who that author, the author is? Isn't it Barker? Yeah, Clive Barker. Um, and Clive Barker had a quote that said, it literally made my guts turn. I've heard the soundtrack. They, they ended up releasing the soundtracks themselves independently, and they put that quote on the front, ostensibly to sell records, yeah. because they're like, hey, if this freaked out Clive Barker, and he's kind of a freaky guy, we gotta, we got to check this out. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a very, I thought it was a very thoughtful sequence of music. I mean, it, it, it didn't feel, it didn't hit the green note for me. I thought it was very pretty, actually, and certainly better than the soundtrack they ended up using. I don't know, I, you know, all due respect to whoever did the soundtrack to the original Hellraiser film, but music is a, a physical thing. Sometimes we forget that because it's also a sense. So mm -hmm. we forget about its physical properties when we are 
appreciating its more sensual elements or its more numinous elements. We forget that it's actually a thing. Yeah. That sound is a thing. It's a physical thing. It causes physical changes in whatever objects it encounters, whether it's our eardrums, our nasal passages, and our brains. So, yeah. So the the music. Well, and so much, so much depends too on your experiences and history that informs how you receive these things. I and mean, I know there's plenty of times that Katie and I will hear the same thing, and something that for her is just like grating noise is for me. I go, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, of course. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, having having tastes and 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 having that level of distinction is an important part of who we are as human beings no mm-hmm. no doubt but yeah it, it's also it's also important to realize that you know sound i i i would never want anybody to lose and that you know one of the things that motivates me as a composer is to try to make music that can as effectively as I can, and, and, and really my limitations are my limitations, but as effectively as I can get maintain and utilize and deploy that physicality. I want to make music that that impacts you. In, in, and not just on the level of taste, um, although that's important. Yeah. The aesthetic is just as important as any other realm, and it's, I certainly want to make music that people like. But that's a different—that's a totally different thing than making music that is physically affecting in some way. And so I think, yeah. you know, I think it—I think it was a culmination as far as recording Funieri of making these records in very quick succession and really immersing myself in the process. So it was only a matter of time before it started to physically affect me. Right around the time this happened, I think what I attribute it to, again, because I'm not going to go down the ghosts are real route. As far as the machines talking back, it happened. It started to happen all the time. I, I've said on previous podcasts, I don't remember how the last half of the record got made. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, being better than I don't remember. I remember I was there, but I don't know how it how it all got put together because I was. I mean, did did you have stuff happening like while you were still sitting with the editing software, like in real time, or was it always in? You'd come back and something would happen. I. There were a couple of times where I don't know if. I wouldn't say it happened in real time, but it, it happened during a, an, uh, a session. It happened during a mix down. Okay. I can't say I saw a file change before my eyes. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to go there. But it is just odd stuff, man. I mean, tracks 
you know, I, I tend to number things rather than, you know, you can in, in Pro Tools and in, in, in GarageBand and Cubase and, and some of these others, you can kind of type a, a little short name for thing like you know bass yeah. or guitar one or something like that mm-hmm. i don't even bother i i it it's it, it to me it's easier to just use the the auto created name for the track and just write down what that is on a on a on a track yeah. sheet so zero 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 one i'll just write you know guitar There were a few times where I, I, you know, I would swear up and down to this. Tracks flipped. They changed places. Hmm. And they changed places and maintained their mix settings. So let me, let me explain okay. that for, for, it, it can yeah. be a little confusing. So, um... So let's say, you know, track one is a guitar that I have in the mix at about 50% volume. So, you know, about halfway in the mix, not prominent, right? And track two is the drum machine. And I have it at about 80% in the mix because I like to bounce. <laughs> so it's very it's the most prominent, you know, instrument of the two. And so underneath yeah. it there's this little guitar line that's kind of booing up and you know, I might have the guitar pan left and right, you know, and have the drum machine straight up the middle. I'd be doing a mixing session. There'd be other tracks too, but let's just focus on those two for the sake of example. You know, I'd be going through mixing, and I'd look at my sheet that I wrote down and said, oh, okay, guitar is one, and it's 50, and it's panned left and right. And I'd hit, I'd isolate the track, and I'd hit play, and I'd hear the drum machine through the headphones. (laughs) And it was 50% panned left and right. So it had the same settings as the guitar. And I'd be like, God, you know, I'm really tired. I'm having these crazy dreams. People are throwing up in my bathroom. You know, I mean, okay, I wrote it down wrong. So cross, you know, I'm scribbling it out, writing drums, you know, uh, instead of guitar. Mm -hmm. Track two must be the guitar. Sure enough, track two now is the guitar but I look at the settings and it's 80 straight up the middle I would never do that to a guitar track you know unless it was a solo and I I rarely encounter guitar solos in my right certainly not in this work right and so I'm thinking I'm sitting here thinking to myself you know I kind of I kind of take a second look at at my sheet and I'm like I wouldn't have made that 
And and it, I wouldn't have made that error. I, w I wouldn't have done that. But you know what? I unisolate those tracks and I listen to the whole thing. Sounds ten times better. <laughs> the, the machine the machine was looking after me. <laughs> I don't know. The machine had a better idea than I did. Yeah. I have no I have no idea. Stuff like that started happening all the time. I mean I literally have 20, 30 stories along those lines. And, and, and so, dreams getting worse, waking up feeling like I can't breathe. I went to my doctor at some point just to get checked out. He's like, you're fine. Yeah. He's like, are you under a lot? He's like, are you under a lot of stress? I said, well, not really, but I'm making this record. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, He's like, no, really, are you, are, you, are you under any stress? And I was like, no, work's fine, home's fine, kid's fine, everything's fine. Yeah. And, you know, I, I like I said, the, the, last, the last two tracks are a blur of just I, I, me kind of wrestling with, with the, the, the machine elves and trying to figure out the best way to, to, to make the record. The night before I finished it, I was doing, I was doing final mix down. All the tracks have been recorded. And I had, like I said, I just started to leave tracks alone. I mean, three, three and five are practically unedited by me. Well, you kind of, I mean, like, um, the whole idea of even a minimal consideration of intent has to be kind of dispensed with at a certain line if you're going to roll with that. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I, it, it, yeah, no. It was, it was easier for me to just be... It was almost like I was the machine. Yeah. I was just making sure that whatever the machine wanted to do was in the right place. Yeah. And I could I could hit the button to do the final mix down and be done. So the night I was mixing it down, I had all the tracks and was kind of doing a I had a I have a dump file. So tracks that aren't used, you know, I kind of go through and if they're if they're tracks that aren't that aren't going to be used, kind of extra tracks. And there were a few. Usually the last thing I do is get those tracks kind of out, kind of clean everything up, basically, and then do one final mix down and, you know, tweak some things that might need tweaking and, and, and just basically put a bow around it. Mm -hmm. So I was doing that, and I'm in... I was in my office, so I, I wasn't downstairs in, in my home studio where I, I do a lot of recording. This is just mixing, so I'm up in my regular office upstairs in my house where I have, you know, a, a small desktop computer and, and got a copy of the mixing software that I use on it. And so I... I I basically took those files, um, it plugged in the external hard drive, opened the mixing software, doing the final mix down, 
and I'm about to export them out. Literally the final thing you do. Yeah. And there, I got, I got that feeling that you get where you're not alone in a room. And I wasn't just alone in the room. I was alone in the house. My, uh, my, my wife was in San Francisco with our child and uh, visiting uh, friends. And I, I, out of the corner of my eye, and like I said, I swear up and down that this happened. I was really tired. I was racing to the finish line to, to, to do this and, and have it completed. I had a corner of my eye. I see just a really, what looked like a really long black shadow of a standing person just over my left shoulder I spin around as one would there's nothing there it's my bookshelf and I turn back to the computer and the mix down is finished now you are a music producer you have a record label how long does it take? How long does it take to export a file? Uh, depending on tracks and length, it, it can be quite lengthy. Just give me a ballpark. Uh, I mean, probably for the stuff that I've been doing. I know when I've been running out these podcasts, you know, the longer ones they would take, I don't know, five minutes or something like that. Yeah, mine, mine does the, the export I'm talking about. You just export out of Pro Tools. It does both. It basically yeah. it gives you a it gives you a big Pro Tools file, um, and then a wave, and then an MP3. Yeah. So that was probably that from that instance of me hitting the button, seeing the shadow, turning, seeing nothing, and turning back was if I'm conservative. 10 seconds mm-hmm. and that's giving me a lot of time that's making I mean that, that that's that's making my reaction time very slow I turn back around and it's done I'm like what the hell and I look in my tiny little corner where the time is and it's no joke 47 minutes later Hmm. I lost 45 minutes of my life somewhere my explanation uh, so my explanation for it is I had to have just been I had to have been so exhausted that I just fell asleep standing up right but the odd timing of seeing and and maybe that encroaching blackness in the corner of my eye was simply my eyes closing mm-hmm. because when you close you know, close your eyes slowly and you kind of see your peripheral vision disappear and it can look in the in a dark room like a shadow is stretching itself 
you know, over your vision. Right. And so maybe that was, maybe that was it. As soon as I rendered that record out and gave it to you, the dream stopped. I've used the same software now to record a couple other projects. It's the same software that I work on every day. Never had any other experience with the machines talking back. All of it stopped. Interesting. That that day. Yeah. So that's the weird stuff, in a nutshell. <laughs> like I said, I have story after story after story. Uh, if you want to go deep sometime, but that's the general overview. So nothing too spooky. I didn't see a ghost. <laughs> uh, at least I don't think I did. You know, the truth or fiction or whatever of ghosts or not ghosts in, in your experience aside, what what's interesting is the the physical and psychological effects that occurred regardless of what truth may be and 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 how that and how that was channeled through the creation of something that became a very significant and big part of your life me and, and, and kind of I had the willingness to kind of go deep with inspirations and, and do a lot of research and be open to things inspiring me uh, from wherever and and then also the the um, you know performing the, mu the music and, and composing the music um, you know having a particular set series of, of, of ideas at first and but, but then being willing to go beyond those. Um, it was just a really immersive experience, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And, and probably the most immersive musical experience that I've had as a as a composer for sure and uh, and pretty high up there as just as a musician I mean, I've, um, you know I've played drums on some records that were that were really great the recording process was really was really cool um, but not nothing nothing like this where it was just very consuming and, and really pushed me in, in several directions creatively and, and also kind of you know conceptually to kind of I know a whole lot more about the genres of music that inspired these three these three uh, records I know a lot more about the subject matter than I ever would have thought that I would 
just approaching it as a project, like one project among many.